Monday, fight fans. Welcome back to the Couchside Judges. I'm Scott Fontana. Follow me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana. And I'm Dan Urban. You can follow me at the Dan Urban. You can follow the podcast at Couchside Judges, and you can subscribe wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please give us that five-star review. It really helps. And as always, we talk MMA judging, so you can read the criteria at abcboxing.com. So, Dan, like I was just telling you before we got on the show, I am, I would say I'm like 95% of the way back uh, as far as getting over everything that, for, that I was dealing with last week. First, it was it was uh, the cold that my kid brought home from summer camp uh, or summer program, whatever you call it. And then my back just deciding it didn't really feel like working anymore. Yeah, that's not good. No, it wasn't. It was not ideal. But yeah, I'm, I would say, yeah, like 95% of the way back, I, you know, I... I felt good enough to leave my home. That's good. That's the Obviously, way we, we, like we recorded remotely the last couple weeks, or the last couple episodes, I should say, last week. So yeah, it's nice to be back. Nice to be back in uh, the studio here. <laughs> the studio. What, have we, in what have we named the studio out? Does this have a name yet? Or the closet? I guess. The closet. That's what we should call it. <laughs> just clothes everywhere. It literally is a closet. And there's a futon. Back I mean, it's there. a big closet. There's like enough. I mean, yeah, this is this is probably not. That much smaller than like my kid's playroom. Uh, it All might right. even be the same size. I mean, there's actually. toys here too. There are there's so a lot of, there's a lot of toys here. I imagine they would have a lot of fun ripping them out of boxes and playing with the boxes. Yeah, that that would that would break my heart. Yeah, it would, um, wouldn't it? It would. <laughs> All right, enough, enough of that. Enough. Of, nobody cares about my health, honestly. I mean, they really just don't. But you know, we we have fights to talk about where others are impacting other people's health. That's what we care. Yeah. About. And obviously UFC was was the main course of the weekend. There was a there was a Bellator uh, event as well the day before. We'll have a little bit uh, at the end of the show. Yeah, I skipped and... the appetizer. <laughs> we Dan, Dan has some thoughts on Bellator, but we'll save them for later in the show too. Um, let's let's leave with UFC. This this was obviously what everybody was watching uh, over the weekend. It was you know I would say it's not like this was like a primetime show or anything like that. Obviously it was not a pay-per-view. It was the show after a pay-per-view, but it was also one that had kind of some, you know, a lot of interesting fights on it, I thought. And then it really turned out to be a good, I thought it was a good show. It was good. It was fun. You know, uh, the, I would say probably one of the most disappointing fights of the night was actually the headliner. Although even that, we still got a solid finish and, and a decent performance out of uh, Islam Makachev getting the win over Tiago good. Moises. But, you know, as far as, you know, capping the the event where we had eight finishes this was one of the eight but you know we had a lot going on but leading up to it so it was almost like it had too high of a bar to clear yeah there was, i think uh, that's what i really mean tough acts to follow tough acts to follow absolutely and and uh well let me ask you this uh, makachev obviously like i said he got the win fourth round submission I, didn't i say fourth round did i say tko you said fourth round finish i don't think you were specific okay okay so uh I'm feeling like Mystic Makachev right here. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Not too bad. So here's the question I have for you. And I, I, I thought of doing this this week. I you know, I don't think we've really done anything like this before. Not that this is an innovative thought, but I think it'd be cool to rate how impressive Islam Makachev was in beating Tiago Moises. One to ten. Ten being the best. What would you rate Islam? I'd call it about a seven. Okay. Seven out of ten. I thought it was a good performance. There's... I'm also rating based on how he feels. I'm sure he didn't enjoy getting taken down at that one point. He probably didn't think that was going to happen to him. And I know he wanted, he, he even said to me last week, he said he wanted an early finish, like second or third round. So I'm sure he's happy enough to get the fourth round finish, but he probably wanted to run through the guy. And it's not exactly what happened, 
Yeah, he looked good, but he he didn't. He had some struggles, if you even want to call them struggles. It, it wasn't the world beater performance that I think people wanted out of you know the guy everyone's saying is like, oh, he's he's just like Khabib. You know, he, there's that that's kind of a gift and a curse that kind of comes with with this whole Khabib, uh, not just association, but the fact that even even he told me he had. He had he couldn't really come up with a whole lot that made his style that much different than Khabib. He's like, well, he's better at pressure. That was about it. <laughs> that he was like the same fighter. Uh, and of course, I'm sure uh, the real tacticians out there, and you know, people who understand uh, the nitty gritty of the tactics. I'm, I, you know, I, I get it, but I'm also not a very. Uh, I don't think I can break down every little thing that's going on in a fight the way a lot of people can. I'm sure Tom, some people would be able to do that and say, okay, this is what makes. Magachev different from Khabib. I do see a very similar fighter, but yes, not not as impressive as as Khabib. Probably even at the same point in their careers. And and what who's his coach? Javier Cordero. That's a coach at AKA. Magachev? No, uh, Javier Mendez. I tell you, Javier Mendez. Whatever. Same. The similar sounding. Um, the both starts with Nate. Nate <laughs> <laughs> H sounds, sir. Yeah. Whatever. Javier Mendez. Told him, you know, you probably can out kickbox him, but like, let's get to wrestling here. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> maybe early on he thought maybe I can knock this guy out. I'll just outbox him, but then he switched to his game plan later on. Yeah, the thing he had also told me last week was was the fact that he's like, I'm gonna take him down when I feel like it, and then he kind of did. It wasn't at yeah. will though. That's the thing. He had to work for these. Well, he got taken down and and yeah. should have had his back taken. Moises uh, was a bit uh, rushy trying to grab the back there. I think part of that is also the fact that Makachev actually has pretty good scrambles, you know. He never threw his hooks and he had a Moises had to throw his hooks in. He's, it was silly. But he's he's a very experienced like like wrestlers obviously they don't want to get on their back. So like mm-hmm. sometimes they have trouble like with I think those scramble type positions or they can, but like someone like Makachev, he's he's a grappler grappler. He's a sambo, you know. Yeah. That that's his thing, and I think he, he displayed a very good uh Ground game, obviously, against well, a very yeah, solid of course. ground fighter as well. You, I mean, you get the sub, obviously. It's really... I would say, to kind of wrap this up, I, was, I would say the 7 actually makes a lot of sense. I'm going to rate him a 7 out of 10 as well. Good. Probably closer to the 6 than the 8 if I was to go somewhere. So, like, maybe, like... A 7. Yeah, that's what I mean. But, you know, as, <laughs> as far as as far as that, I mean, I'm not... I'm thinking, You're not going like, to push it to an 8. Yeah, you no. know, I, I'd be more likely to push it to a 6 than the 8. Okay. Yeah. I think he... Mostly because I think he wanted more, and it just didn't quite get there. And you know, we'll see. I think he probably, you know, as far as who he should fight next, he did call out Rafael dos Anjos because that was the fight that it was booked twice last year, and it fell apart once on each side because of, you know, I think it was an effect, you know, an infection, and uh, and then one side it was COVID or something like that. I forget the exact details. But uh, what do you think? Is is RDA the the, the, the match to make, or do you have something else? There's two that make sense. Okay. But in my eyes, there's only one that makes sense, and it's not RDA. I don't think RDA really needs uh, that meaningful of a fight. You can put him against anybody. Uh, I think Benil Dariush needs a meaningful fight, and I, I think like that one. Islam is that fight because you can't put Benil uh, against Gaethje or Chandler because if those two don't fight, that's a slap in the face to every single fan. <laughs> and of course, it's Poirier Oliveira next. So you know what I I had thought about Benil as well. I like that. Because he's right there, it's it's a tough fight. I feel like Benil Dariush is another guy that I feel like nobody really is interested in fighting because he's not like he's not like the the sexy name, so to speak. You know, just, he's it, just but he's just a, a damn tough fighter who's having a really awesome stretch right now. And and you could probably say the same thing about Islam Makachev. So 
whichever one of those guys comes out for a win, I mean, that would make a really excellent understudy. I like that a lot. I have no problem with RDA, but I think that would be a good one too. Yeah, RDA is fine. It's just I don't think he needs that fight. I mean, his legacy is his legacy as it is. He doesn't need that fight. I don't think he's ever going to make another title run. So it's Dos Anjos, you're saying? Yeah. But, I mean, what's he supposed to do? I mean, he just waited. Fight Dan Hooker. Yeah. So why why would he want to fight Dan Hooker, though? Because he knows he's going to get a crazy fight and probably make an extra 50 Gs. Yeah. I guess I understand that thing, but you know, I, I I look at it like this: he's fight, he can fight somebody who's coming off a win that could give him real shine to get him potentially to the title shot, or he could fight Dan Hooker, and you know, where does that leave him? What does it do for him? Well, you know what? Here, well, let me point this out: Ferguson and McGregor should be crumbled up and just thrown out of the rankings because they're just they're they're muddying everything up. <laughs> they, they don't deserve to be in the five and the whatever. Spot How about they in. fight each other? Yeah, that's fine. Like in a year in a or year. two from now. Uh, you know what? Fight him while while Connor recovers. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. Beat him with the leg. I mean, I'm sure Ferguson probably has a broken bone too somewhere. That's yeah, crazy. But, he, but that happened because he tripped on a cable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fair. <laughs> All right, but I, you know that was obviously the main event here, but arguably the most interesting fight from this card, for at least for some people, was the return of Misha Tate five she- years later. And she comes back, and I think probably there were people who were expecting her to win. I think she was the favorite over Marianne Renault. Uh, but for her to get a finish, a third-round finish, in a fight that, honestly, when I'm watching, I'm like, she's getting stronger as the fight goes on. She looked good. She looked really good. And being the first woman to finish Renault, who now retires uh, off this loss, and, you know, good for her. She, you know, she, she seemed like she took it in... in uh, uh, with grace and seems very at, at peace with it. She had her son with her, which was really cool to see. Uh, you know, parent myself, like, that's got to be so awesome to have your kid there with you for, like, a special moment like that. Uh, but as far as Misha, where does this leave Tay? I mean, we're not even, you know what? We'll get to that in a second. Rate her performance 1 to 10. How impressed? I mean, how can you not be 10 out of 10 five years out? Getting a finish over someone who's never been finished? I think that's a 10, year, 10 out of 10. I think if you're grading, especially on, on a curve like that, where you're kind of a, a, adding in all these other factors, like the fact that she hadn't fought in so long and all this stuff, and the fact that she finished someone who hadn't been finished, I think it is a 10 out of 10. But I do think you can make a case for it being more like a 9, just because a 10 probably could be something like, well, we just this she just ran through her in like two minutes and just looked like a ball of fire. You know what I mean? See, I rate. See, I I would be more likely to rate that less because you didn't see as much. I guess so. You know, I think I would feel that way more for you know to give an example, Conor McGregor when he beat Jose Over Aldo. Aldo. Okay, that's where I say mm-hmm. okay, that doesn't prove anything. But like, let's say you just looked like. Imagine if Misha Tate just just pounded on her for two minutes and then it was over. Yeah, but I, I would. I think that still proves something different. Any finish was getting a ten out of ten for me. All right, based that's on, and you based know on what? the conditions. I, I think I probably still would lean 10 to 2 over the 9, but I, I don't know. Because, like I said, we're, we are grading with all of these factors in. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not in a vacuum. I think she had to be over the moon with this result. She, I mean, she, she got uh, what more could you hope Realistically, for? yeah. So. She, mission accomplished. And if that's what mission accomplished is, I mean, that's great. And also, it seems like now she's in position where. I mean, she doesn't even need to call anybody out. Everybody wants her. Throw her right into the deep end. There's no reason for her to, you know, she doesn't need a slow reintroduction to the division. Irene Aldana. Throw right there. It's probably up to uh, Tate as far as which opponent would be coming for her. I mean, does she 
does she want it to be Holly Holm next, or does she want it to be mm. someone like that? Because because there is Holm was injured or something, right? So it might be a while before she's fighting. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't. She was going to fight Juliana Pena in May, and she had to pull out for some reason. And now Pena is fighting for the belt. Yeah, I'm not so sure uh, about that. I mean, it's possible that she's maybe on you know on track to be fighting later in the year or something like that. I don't know. Um, but I'll say this: if, if I'm Misha Tate, I'm thinking. I want a fight that allows me to be, if not on a pay-per-view, like on the main card or something like that, headlining a, you know, non-pay-per-view event, like something like this, where she would be the main event. And who's that against? Who's the one who gets the most attention for that? I think someone like Holly Holm makes a lot of sense like that. Doesn't it make sense? Well, yeah, of course. Holly Holm's a huge name, too. And there's just not as many women out there that really come in that name recognition in that division. Um I don't think Misha would fight Juliana Pena, which obviously Pena is booked and, and, and all that. Kind of, it, it, titles up for grabs, who knows, might be a different thing. But I know they're very close uh, going back to their uh, their time with the Ultimate Fighter. So I don't know. The the options are, it's not that they're limited or anything like that. I think similar time frame. That's why I picked out Rina Aldana. Fair enough. I, I mean, that, division that makes a lot of just sense. Just one last week. That makes a lot of sense. It is a very tough one. That's definitely deep water. Um I wonder if that's the right matchup for her, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't hate that at all. I honestly, if it can happen though, I think Holly Holm would be the one. It, it just it makes feasible. too much sense. Well, that yeah, that that'll sell. And not only that, like if she goes in there and she beats Holly Holm, like it doesn't really matter where Holly stands in the division; she's still high up there. And UFC could realistically say, yeah, okay, let's let's yeah, get a ahead. title fight for Misha Tate here. Go and ahead. She can get that second shot at, at uh, Amanda Nunes. Sure, go get eaten. Go get eaten by Amanda. <laughs> That's what you. That's your price. Yes, it's, you wanted it. it. it if that's what meal. she wants for, her, you know, good luck to her. But uh, I mean, realistically, I don't even know if Amanda Nunes is going to keep fighting that much longer. I mean, what else has she left to prove? She's beaten everybody. If she beats Juliana Pena here, yeah, it's pretty much just collecting paychecks, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, fight as long as you can at the top. You know what actually makes the most sense? I was thinking about this before. You know what it should be? It should be Amanda Nunez switching away from Misha Tate. It should be Amanda Nunez against Irene Aldana for the featherweight title because Irene Aldana missed weight last time. Okay. For 135. That's fair. And and I was thinking about this. I'm like, shoot, if the same woman has both titles, why does anyone go for 35? Literally anyone. Just go for 45. You don't have to cut weight. The only theory there that you'd want to do that for is, well, maybe it diminishes Amanda Nunes to bring her down to 35. That's got to be the only thing that makes any sense. Otherwise, just fight her for 45. You win the 45, then you go for 35. I guess. I don't know. Unless they think Amanda walks around at like 155, like you said, and make her cut that extra 10 pounds. Yeah, I'm not sure what she would walk around so, at. I mean, obviously, she's a very large 35. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Hard to say. Maybe no one's actually thought of that. So uh, who knows? I've put that out there on social media, and obviously I have a giant social media following. I'm, I'm up to like what 1,200 now or something yeah, like that. Expect, Just huge. Uh, I honestly I can barely go to the grocery store anymore. I expect Ariel to steal it from you. <laughs> Be kind to Ariel. He's all right. You know he actually doesn't live too far from from here. Maybe I'll see him at the grocery store. Yeah, you might. Maybe. Anyway, let's let's move on though. I think uh, we basically covered you know what would be next for Misha Tate here. Let's get into some contested rounds and Dan. There weren't all that many. That's the way it's supposed to be. Yes, yes. And, and of course, part of that is the fact that we had so many fights that didn't go the distance. We had a lot and, uh, early as well, uh, like very early, first round, second round kind of deals. Mm-hmm. 
So we only have four rounds to break down from the UFC card, two of which were in the first fight we're going to discuss, which also actually didn't go the distance. That was Hadolfo Vieira got his third round submission victory rear naked choke over Dustin Stoltzfus. And he, cle- he while he's in this fight, didn't have cardio issues. No, he didn't. That's true. Uh, and he also, <laughs> what struck me about this fight, it was like, I'm going to practice my striking and my pacing for two rounds. And then the third mm-hmm. round came and he's like, I'm done. I'm just going to go for the choke. I had it. enough of this. He's moving on. <laughs> Playing with his food and then feasting with the Mataleo. Mm-hmm. So round one, because again, both of these rounds uh, were split here. Let's start with round one. Uh, two judges, Eric Cologne and Brian Miner, uh, who was, by the way, the judge of the headliner at Bellator all the way across the country the night before. Busy man. Yeah. Flew from, uh, well, came from Connecticut at midnight to Vegas, you know, mid-afternoon out there. Very, very, very tough turnaround there. But anyway, so it's it's uh, Cologne and Minor on this one had the first round for Vieira. And Adelaide Bird was the out judge, saw it for Stoltzfus. How do you see it? I saw it for Vieira. Okay. Uh, his jab was working really well. I thought he was landing some good right hands. Uh, and he's, he's snapping... Uh, Stoltzfus head back almost every punch he lands. I thought Stoltzfus was very aggressive in the middle of the round. I didn't think he landed all that much of anything. Uh, I thought his best offense came at the closing part of the round, about the last 45 seconds left. Started landing some punches and he landed a spin kick. But overall, I had uh, Vieira as the better fighter. Yeah, I mean, totally viable to go that way. I did see that one for Stoltzfus. And actually, it was largely because I think I was swayed by that end uh, sequence the end uh, contributions he had there. Mm-hmm. I thought he was more effective overall because of his his ending there. But yeah, I mean, if you want to say, uh, especially the way the jab was working for Vieira, totally fine. I think this is one of those rounds where it's like honestly, mm. it's it's not pick them, but they both make sense. Okay, that's how I saw that one. So uh, I'm certainly not gonna criticize uh, any of the judges here, and I saw the same way as uh, Ms. Bird. Round two, again, we of course have the same judges, and actually, it's the same judges. Uh, being in the majority minority here with now it's flip cologne and brian minor they see this one for stolzfus 10-9 and bird has this one for viera 10-9 what about you yeah i i stuck with viera on this one okay me too i, I do think this was a much better round for stolzfus than for round round one i thought he was actually landing a lot in this round uh i just thought viera also had a better round i see okay uh, he's landing a lot more, and same thing. Every time he's landing, his Stoltzfus head is snapping back. His face is all bloodied up. Uh, this was a very close one, uh, but I think Vieira was the one. Yeah, each of these rounds were close. It's it's really hard to sit there and, and say anyone didn't win that round, you know? Like, sit mm-hmm. there and just say, no, they couldn't have won that round. I think anyone would watch this fight who, who really understands the criteria and say, okay, listen, this is a close round. You can make an argument from either, either man here. It makes a lot of sense, uh, but... You and I both ended up, uh, I guess, I don't know if it was by chance or what, but we ended up seeing it uh, the same way as Ms. Bird, who was the out judge here. And, well, I mean, if, if we're with the out judge, both of us, what is that called? Oh, that's a uh, couch side over. <laughs> Congratulations, Adelaide. Oh, uh, yeah. Is that her first? No, that can't be her first. I don't know. She well, she hasn't been dissenting year. a that's lot true. Well, until uh, recent. More, more of it this year, actually. Yeah, Last year... And for quite a while, yeah, she really was not uh, the dissenting judge here. But yeah, we've seen more of it in recent weeks. Although, you know, again, she was she had two dissents in this fight alone. And 
I saw them both the same way as her. I, I don't see a problem with uh, these scores at all. all right. You know, people like to be like, oh, of course, Adelaide Bird. She's the one who saw it different. There's P- Guys, so <laughs> many people saw it the same way as Adelaide Bird on this fight. It's, just just stop. It's funny. Just if you, stop. If, if you follow any of the, like, the so-called betting experts on Twitter. Okay. And once the official assignments are, are released. Yeah. And they have a play on someone. And they're like, oh, of course she's on that car on that fight. Of course Adelaide's on this fight. There goes my bet. <laughs> like, oh, she has only one judge. There's two others. You'll be all right. Listen. And she does a pretty good job, so. Listen, boxing is a different animal. I'm not going to get into the boxing stuff. <laughs> but I'll say this. In MMA, which is what we talk about, obviously, every week, I think she's a perfectly fine judge. And I think her work is showing that. We've had a few where we've talked about in recent uh, months that were, were like kind of like, eh, I'm not sure I see it as strongly, but, you know, we've had that from any, just about any judge, I think. Yeah. It, they it all, just happens once in a while. It does really just happen. Yeah. But uh, I mean, that was it for that fight. Of course, uh, like I said, the third round was where uh, Vieira decided, oh, that's right. I'm a world-class grappler. I'm just going to tap him out. And he did. So uh, that, put, some it, moments that put an end too. to what could have been a very closely uh, scored fight, right? Yeah. And he was on his back at one point in that fight, on, in the round. Yes. So, yes. But what's he do? He gets on top and he chokes him. Standing. I think he went out standing. You think so? I think he did. Okay, I didn't notice that. Or at least when he fell down, like right when he landed, I, I think see, he was I see, out. But while, while he's in mid-fall, maybe? Yeah. Okay. All right. I didn't quite notice that, but I'll I'll defer to you, sir. His head felt like it was going to pop. <laughs> I bet. I, that guy squeezes something else. <laughs> God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be part of that. I need a, I need a volunteer to, to show the move. No, I'm, I'm, I got to go to the bathroom. Sorry. <laughs> All right, let's move on, though. We've got two more rounds, uh, one of which did come uh, in a finish, just like the previous two. Uh, and that was actually the the curtain jerker of the night. Rodrigo Nascimento got a second round TKO finish over Alain Badeau. And actually, the first round was pretty much all Badeau. So it was very much a comeback round. It was like all of a sudden mid-round or uh, midway through the fight, or I should say between rounds, Nascimento, it's almost like his corner just like went to his back and be like, oh, the on switch was set to yeah. off. Let's turn it on. <laughs> but yeah, that was a great, great way to finish that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But again, round one is what we're talking about here. And this was only split because it was a 10-8-9 split. Big round for Badeau. Did you think it was a 10-8 the same way as Mike Bell? Or did you see it as Dave Hagen and uh, Ms. Bird? I, I thought it was a 10-9. I think it's a bit of a stretch to go 10-8. Okay. Mainly because even though Nascimento didn't really have much offense, Padel really didn't also. They spent a lot of time just hugging each other against the cage. So it, it's not like he was he was total offense. I mean, he land, he finally landed some of those Travis Brown elbows against the cage, and then Nascimento's like, you know, I'm going to pull guard or whatever. It ends up on top. Eat some decently strong punches there on the ground, but really not there that long. Then they get back on the feet. They clinch some more. And then with about 30 seconds left, Badeau lands some heavy shots, which seem to wobble Nascimento a bit. So I think it's a bit of a stretch. But, I mean, I guess you can make a case. Look, I, I'll i say this. I saw it the same way as you. I saw it as a 10-9 for Badeau, not a 10-8, uh, as Mike Bell did. But I do understand why you could go 10-8 here, even though I, I even thought through. I was like, could I go to the 10-8? I, I think I said something on social media about, you know, not quite a 10-8 or something like that. But... The, the offense that is landing, it is landing pretty heavy, man. 
It's yeah, it's just... some heavy immediate impact off of this stuff. But I didn't think any of it had Nascimento in quite enough trouble that you'd say, okay, yeah, maybe this is like fight changing type of stuff. So that's more or less why I don't think he was a diminished fighter off these. I mean, I would I say mean, he didn't go every, down. He was every punch wobbled. is diminishing him to some degree. But well, then you can say that about every punch. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But so, I, I mean, and clearly he came back and. and Knocked him out. Of course, so. of course. But but like I said, the switch was off, Dan. Did oh, you that's right. Me? That's right. He had to turn him off. You forgot. There's a button on the back. It's labeled on and off. Oh, Alan Badeau should have uh, turned him off for good. I tell you what, that, that makes me think, and this is total tangent here. We have so many tattoos where people get like wings on their back and all this stuff. What if it was like an on-off button? And then at the start of every fight, you had someone from your corner push the on button push the button yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's enough bad tattoos in the sport that that uh that literally couldn't be the worst because there's so many other bad ones there's a lot of bad the, ones i mean the nothing jumps out to me more as bad mma tattoo than uh darren the the damage elkins yeah, even worse than alan belcher okay it's dan corrected <laughs> that's, I mean, that, that's like, the he, alan belcher tattoo is so bad he like it's went to one of the so worst bad. worst portrait artists I, that. I showed that to my buddy, and he didn't think it was real. <laughs> <laughs> he thought it was drama. <laughs> and in a way, it was, but, you know. <laughs> but uh, to wrap this round up, of course, yeah, we, we both saw it as a 10-9 for Badeau. I don't think it's crazy. I really don't think it's that much of a stretch, but I, I saw it as a 10-9. I think it's just a bit of a I stretch. I do think that's the right call. Not, that's fine. not that's a crazy fine. stretch. So you hate Mike Bell. I understand. Bit of a stretch. I like Mike Bell. Okay. He's always pushing the, the envelope for those 10-8s. I like that. You know, I think we would have went 10-8 in CSJ. Yes. CSJ is most definitely a 10-8. This is like a clear 10-8 for our school so. system, but but not quite the 10-7. That's why we need it. Mm. I think Mike Bell would love our system. I like to think oh, that. Oh, yeah. Anyway. That'd be awesome. This is the greatest thing all And then time. I'll hear for the grapevine. No, Mike Bell really hates your system. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, there was one more round from UFC action, and this one was actually in a decision. Didn't factor into the fight really at all, although it could have because it was round two of Malcolm Gordon's uh, unanimous decision win over Francisco Figueiredo, 30-27 and 2-29-28, because round two was split with Figueiredo getting two out of three scores from judges Junichiro Camillo and Tony Weeks. And the outjudge here is Sal D'Amato, who saw this one for Gordon. How about you, sir? Which one did you I side with? I side with Sal. Okay. 10-9 Gordon. I thought he built up a, a pretty good lead in the first two minutes of the round. Everything he was landing, big reactions for Figueroa. As the round goes on, Gordon's starting to f- lose some steam. Like his punches don't have the same pop on him, and Figueroa starting to close the gap a bit. And then towards that end, he has that one flurry. He lands some punches. He throws a knee up the middle. That was probably his best offense for the round. I just don't think it was enough to take the round back. Okay, and that's fine. I, I actually did think that he was able to take that round. Um, more or less because of the reason you didn't think he got there. But again, really close round. I thought round one was also close to this fight. Uh, so this was honestly just a, a very close contested fight, at least until third round. I think third round was actually a pretty clear round for Malcolm Gordon. Not not even super clear, but like I, I, it would have been enough that I think it was close but clear. Okay. So what we have here, uh, it goes down, of course, as a Malcolm Gordon win. I think rightfully so, even in a close fight. But yeah, round two. I think it's enough that you could say Figueredo, uh took it in, and then really it came down to round three, which is what it did, effectively. Figueredo is not built like his brother. No. It looks like he can make 115, no problem. <laughs> yeah. He's 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 the smaller brother. I don't know who, where he is in, ter- in relation to age. I don't know if he's the big or little brother in age, but he's definitely the smaller brother. Yeah. But that's it. 
you know, again, another really close round there. And, and I don't think there were any, I don't think there was any rounds that anybody was whining about here. We just didn't have too much of that. And I think a lot of it was just the fact that, again, we had eight finishes in 10 fights and we did lose one of the fights. It should have been 11 and we lost one earlier in the day because of COVID protocols. Um, but those finishes, we had five by TKO. No, no straight KOs. Uh, one of the finishes got a little flack. Yeah, actually, do, do you want to touch on that briefly? I thought I, she crossed over, hit that threshold, was out. That's it. Fight's over. The way she fell. You're talking like about Amanda out. Lemos and yeah. uh, Montserrat Ruiz. Yeah, I got no problem. Just because she popped up after she was knocked out doesn't mean anything. So, Yeah, so let's to, to take through the sequence, Lemos blitzes her, basically, and, and just punishes her from across the cage, and she's down, right? Montserrat Ruiz goes down, and that's when, very quickly... Chris Tonioni comes in and just pulls her right off. Says, no, we're done, we're done. And then she pops right back up with her hands defending her, uh, Ruiz. And honestly, she looks totally fine, right? Not in slow motion, she don't. But no, no, when she pops up. Oh, when she pops up, she's ready to go. That's what I'm saying. When she pops up, she's totally fine. But to your point, I think, if you see the fighter go out, that's it. It doesn't matter if you come back. It just doesn't. Yeah, and this wasn't Pat Barry and Czech Congo. If if this is what Chris Tonioni saw, if he saw something... You know, in the eyes or in the reaction or whatever from uh, Ruiz here, then that's what it is. Yeah, that's it. Uh, uh, she looked in the slow motion. She looked completely out. Yeah. So that's why I think you usually you would get some sort of commentary reaction, although it's typically from different commentators than who we had the other night. I, I thought, by the way, this is my dream team. This is my dream trio for the UFC. Anik, Felder, and Bisping. I mean, Bisping's growing on me. Love John Anik, but I, I, I can't quit Joe Rogan. I quit quit DC. Nah. So I, I need that insanity, that super fanness in my commentary. I don't want it. I don't want it. I need it. Yeah. You know, that's just, I think that speaks to our personalities. Okay. I think that's really what it is. I, I want, like, the most professional. And it, look, it's not like Michael Bisping is sitting there, like, hoity-toity. No, Bisping's great. I like Bisping. He, he's got a lot of personality. And I mean, yeah. oh my God, like, think about how people feel about Michael Bisping, especially in this country now, compared to... When he was when, fighting? Well, I was going to say, even especially going back to when he was hosting the Ultimate Fighter, uh, or, or he was coaching on the Ultimate Fighter against Dan Henderson. Like, that period of time, anyway, I think people just couldn't stand him. He was tough to like for a while. He grew on me. I, I didn't like him for a while. But what time. does that mean? Is this a guy who was playing a part to to perfection or what? Maybe. I think probably probably a lot of it was growing up. You know, he was a kid. He was not a kid then, but he was much younger then. And now he's an older, much more experienced man, and and, and probably just mellowed in general. But I think it's just fighting brings out it just raises everything. He's like hormones are going crazy. He's like I'm gonna kill even even versus GSP. He was not a very nice man to him. So in the lead up. Sure, but again, so, I think that's play, it's playing a part. I think he knew what to do. I think he figured out the game, and he did it in such a way that didn't go too far. Yeah, I don't think Michael Bisping ever went too far with his stuff. And he spit. I thought he spit on Dante Rivera, or was it the opposite? Jorge Rivera. Jorge Rivera. I don't I, remember this in particular. I someone, yeah, I someone it. spit on someone's corner, and I, I want to say I think Mike spit on his corner. It's possible. I'm and not you positive. Know what? You know what? That that would probably come down to. Uh, being young because that would have been early in his career yeah so all right but but anyway yeah so i i love that team um but i do think that because we had that team we didn't have any crazy outcry because of the way this stoppage uh was handled to circle back to lamos and and uh ruiz 
I think probably if we had Dominic Cruz, he would be going crazy. About, I would about I would how actually, Chris Tognoni was smoking cigarettes and drinking before I, in an I alley. Would, I would like to see his opinion on this if he was on it. I I truly am not interested in his opinion on this. I, I'm <laughs> just like, wanna, I'm just, the total opposite just here. Curious one he already has to say. But anyway, let's let, you know. I think we we talked about that enough. I think yeah. we agree that this this stoppage like justice it didn't justified get, it didn't get a lot of pub because of the broadcast, and I think rightfully so. I think it was great. I, I, everything kind of moved smoothly, and we didn't dwell on it in the yeah, right, right. You know, way. So, as far as your favorite finish, though, out of all these eight finishes, five TKO, three sub, what was your favorite, sir? Uh, well, you picked it for me. Well, I knew I would be right, wouldn't yeah. I? Yeah, so, uh, Mateus Gamrot. Matus Gamrot, uh, yeah. Matus Gamrot, uh, over Jeremy Stevens, taking his arm home. Yes, cranking that Kimura 65 Kimura. seconds. Oh, that was good. And it was weird, because Stevens was attacking his own Kimura, and I'm like... This is not going to go well for I you, I want to see him do the counter. <laughs> and he did the counter, and he took that arm home. Yeah, yeah. So, Jeremy Stevens awesome. needs to stick to the bread and butter a little bit more, I think. Yeah. And your uh, your finish? Oh, my finish. I mean, honestly, I really wanted to pick Gamrot. I actually had put it down for myself, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna be charitable. I know he's gonna want that, <laughs> so I gave it to you. All right. So I'm I'm a good man. Uh, Dan did not watch live. He was at the Yankee game. It was a great game. They won. I had. Were you the fans. one who threw the ball at the at the Red Sox player? Oh no. That guy is so stupid. Yes, he's really stupid. He's banned for life, by the way. He's banned for life. That, by, that, from all major league ballparks. That's how it should be. And yes, th- correct. And I to, agree. And to offset that, they should just allow me free entry to every major league ballpark. That's true, yeah. No, that makes sense. And I think you already have that, though. I actually have free... Uh, I don't have free entry, but I have entry to all ballparks. I'm allowed. I am allowed there, too, but I have to pay. Oh, yeah, same. Um, I do think that that's a... That's not the right penalty. I think he should have had to fight Verdugo on the field and let Verdugo get his licks in. Uh, How about we just we give Verdugo it, one throw of a baseball at that guy? Yeah, that's, just, that's just fair, make too. make it even. Eye for an eye. Eye for an eye. Bastard believes two eyes for an eye. But, all right, eye for an eye, we can deal with that. Right. And then I'll eat ice cream watching it. But anyway, circling in, in a pink hat, right? I got the pink one because I have so many navy ones. So I got the pink one. Okay, that's fair. We've yep. got we've got a blue one uh, sitting in my kid's toy box somewhere. Nice. Yeah. But for my favorite finish to kind of, you know, bring it back, bring it home on the UFC broadcast, Daniel Rodriguez. I was excited to watch him fight. And that fight, it didn't really live up to any sort of like competitive fight uh, standard. But I mean, Daniel Rodriguez, what a showcase for him against Preston Parsons, somebody that I think a lot of people thought of him as a very great prospect coming in. It was obviously a late notice thing, but I think Daniel Rodriguez showed that he's a real deal. Like Rodriguez is good. Him. He is really, really so. good. Um, pressured Parsons after he, first off, he punches Parsons in the eye. I think he broke his orbital. I think he did too. That reaction and was big. Look, I've broken my orbital twice. Each well, each of my orbitals once, I should say. So I know what it's like. It ain't fun. Um, and I can understand why he recoiled after that. He was a totally different fighter because that really isn't fun i don't yeah i can't imagine and he's probably gonna have some surgeries involved in there i i had to i had to have my orbital repaired uh i've got metal plates in my face as i probably mentioned before so when scott becomes a villain he'll be metal face or something like that uh that's a terrible name i'm gonna let you mulatto don't the te- come don't, up with a better one don't the turtles have a metal head as a villain metal head is a turtle robot okay all right so metal metal something Anyway, this this fight didn't get out of the first round. Rodriguez looks awesome. I really want to see him uh, get a step up in competition. I think he's totally earned it. Let's go. Yeah, it was he was actually supposed to be fighting Abu Bakar uh, Nurmagomedov here. 
he pulled out recently. But I say I I really want to see him get even farther up. I I don't want that clash yet. I want I want those guys to go separate ways. You can go eighty five. Who's at eighty five? Freaking fight. Uh... No 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 no. I, I, we're talking about welterweights. Daniel's a welterweight. That was a welterweight fight. Yeah. Oh wow, he was big. He's big. Yep. He's a big boy. I don't know. I don't know. I I, I just don't. I, I want it to be against someone who's really established. I just don't want it to be a prospect or something like that anymore. Give him somebody who's established, somebody who can really prove his worth against because i he, he always impresses me when he goes out there nick diaz no oh all right nick diaz is booked yeah he's have booked. You, where have you been i know he's booked i mean I, that would be a fun <laughs> I'd be I down for that that. Uh, sure but maybe like after uh robbie lawler tools him right it's not gonna happen i know i, I don't really know how i think that fight's you want to talk about i just like this. to needle you you want to just skip the next section no, no of no, the no, show and I we'll just continue talking about this because no 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 this is much more interesting all right First off, before we get into this next section, which Dan is not looking forward to talking about, Bellator 262, which was Friday night. Dan, I think I'm going to give you the floor, and I'm just going to let you rant about your problems with Bellator, because I know you're you're getting really tired of me being like, nah, we got to get this Bellator fight in on the broadcast. But Take it away. I'm going to start with, I'm laying in bed, I'm about to go to sleep, I get a text message from Scott, and it's like, we have to do the Bellator fight. I'm like, are you kidding me? You just ruined my entire weekend by telling me this and i was serious it was ruined so you went to the yankee game and the only thing you're thinking about was this I'm bellator like, fight yeah i'm like didn't i'm watch. gonna have to watch this fight tomorrow the yankees better win tonight i think you're lying and it's pouring out and it's like oh man let's get this game in we gotta make sure we win anyway so today now i'm like oh wow i really have to actually watch this thing so i find out which rounds we have to watch i skipped the rounds i didn't have to watch <laughs> so juliana velasquez versus denise kielholtz now denise kielholtz now, won the first round no disrespect to the fighters. They don't market it great. They don't make me have any interest in any of the fighters outside of their like top like three or four people who they actually put some effort into. If they put some effort into these fighters, maybe I'd feel differently. But this was a title fight, and going into it, I had no interest. So it, it was it was very laborsome uh, going through this fight. Laborious. Okay, yeah, laborious. I can't even think of words now. That's all. But anyway, we let's let's I don't know. Let's get it over with. The only thing I would say is I. While this wasn't necessarily a thrilling fight, I thought, especially once we get to the fifth round, and we'll talk about this, I thought the fifth round was actually a pretty solid round. The fifth round, they finally had a good round. Yes, so Juliana Velazquez, like you said, defended her title against Denise Kielholtz. Split decision, 48-47, you know, two for Velazquez, one for Kielholtz. Uh, The descending judge on this one was one Brian Miner, who we said flew all the way across the country the next day. Uh, Herculean effort from Mr. Miner this weekend. Uh, But let's talk about rounds two, four, and five, starting with two. Like I said, Kielholtz won the first round. What did you see in round two, sir? Round two, 10-9 Velasquez. Uh, There's actually very little offense from both fighters, and Velasquez landed better. It was not... The most uh, exciting round, I think, yeah, obviously, when you get a round like this, where They swung a lot. Yes. They yes. just missed a lot with it's it. It's true. It's true. We're not seeing uh, enough lands, especially not enough effective real lands here. So I-, I found this one to be a pretty challenging round to kind of parse through and say, okay, who definitively won this round? I didn't think there was a, a real strong answer either way, so I could see why it was split. Uh, Brian Miner and Marcel Rever- uh, Varela were the two judges who saw it for Velazquez. And Jacob Montalvo saw this one for Kielholz. I saw it for Velazquez. You did as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough to say definitively that either any of these judges is wrong or any score is wrong. It is what it is, right? It's what it is. And then round three, 
This was a unanimous round for Velazquez. I know you didn't watch it. We don't need to talk about it. Round four, though, is where we resume with a split round again. What happened here? Another close round. Uh, neither fighter is actually landing all that much again. I thought Velasquez lands better. The ones that are actually landing, her counters are pretty solid. Her jab is working well. But this is another round where it's, you got to give the judges something to score. And if, if it comes back split, it's on you for not having enough offense. It's true. And, you know, I think it's not necessarily for lack of trying. They're just not landing, right? Just missing and missing and missing. It's like, it's like Aaron Judge with a, you know, when he sees a slider on 0-2. It's like swing and a miss. You know, I, I look at Keelholtz here, and, and in this fight, she really just looked like she was a weight class uh, too high. I You know what? I didn't even, I didn't even maybe... I mean, she's she's like she's like a head shorter and, and definitely she's definitely a, a lot shorter. Frame. I'll give her that. I I look at Keelholtz as someone who, at least you know, without knowing her situation, she certainly looks like someone who would have benefited from Bellator having a one fifteen pound class, which they do not. It is what it is. She is here. Um, so yeah, I, I think in the context of that, just in general, I thought she put up a pretty solid effort against a much taller, much bigger fighter. Is Liz Carmouche hurt? No, I don't know why, why they not continue the not fight? to give her title fights. It's, right. it's for, it always makes me laugh. That's pretty, another thing. About I have to think she's next. Right. <laughs> yeah, the booking is strange in Bellator. I have to say it doesn't make any sense. Uh, but she's got to be next, I would think. Uh, in this one, I also had this one for last quiz, uh, same way as Varela and Montalvo. This was a Kilholtz round from Brian Minor. Uh, and this was the round that essentially made him the dissenting judge uh, in the in terms of the decision. Can't fight it because I mean, what did Velasquez or what what did both fighters do that actually stood out from one another? No, no, re- so, there's really not a whole lot in this round that I thought stood out uh, clearly. So yeah, neither fighter can be too upset, and I guess they they showed that in the post fight when it's announced. It's true. It's true. Uh, round five, though, again, this is where it actually starts to become a much more interesting fight, right? This is actually a good round. Yeah, another uh, very close again. Velasquez is hitting her with, you know, the little shots on the counters. But every time Keelholtz lands, she's landing with, you know, trying to knock her out. And she was landing with, I think, much more. Um, she was landing in better volume. Yeah, early she on landed. Too. This was had to be her highest percentage round of actual lands to throws. Sure. So and, and they were good strikes. I, I thought this was this was pretty clear. I thought for Keelholtz. I thought it was a close but clear round. Yeah, I I guess I can understand why. And and again, we're still talking about a pretty close round on the whole, uh, in the way they're throwing and stuff like that. So I can understand why, you know, depending on where Montalvo is able to see and all that stuff, why it might be uh, around that Montalvo goes for Velasquez. But yeah, I would say this was a close but clear round for Keelholt. So that's how I went, uh, same as Brian Minor and mm-hmm. Marcel Varela. Yep. But, it, you know, it really didn't matter because ultimately this ends up being uh, a Velasquez victory. Yeah. And that, yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. wasn't a great fight. Not a great fight, not a terrible fight. I mean, also, you didn't watch two of the rounds. It's also, but let me... To be fair, you have to say, admit this, like, you didn't watch two of the rounds. Did I have to? I'm not saying you did or not, but what I'm saying is it's hard for you to pass judgment on, no pun intended, on a fight that you didn't watch the entirety of. I watched more than I wanted to. <laughs> I understand. But the moral of the story is Dan is probably going to, to resist me heavily whenever uh, it comes down to putting Bellator, probably any non-UFC on our show. Is there... that fair to say or No. No. Because some Bell- some Bellator fights are big enough that I I have vested interest in. Are you interested in uh, Pitbull and McKee? In a couple I'm weeks? very excited about that. Fight. Okay, but this is Scott is two for two on. Well, he didn't really know I didn't care about this one that much, but he knew I did not want to watch Musashi and Lima. <laughs> I had I had no intentions of watching that whatsoever. 
and rightfully so, I believe. It was a terrible fight. Uh, and I had to watch that it's one. It's one of the worst fights since we started watching this, as far as like prominent fights. Since we started the show, I should say. But hey, whatever. I, some, I hope they get back to the light heavyweight Grand Prix. Or just book events and market it where it makes me interested in these fighters. I will say they were actually putting on throughout the broadcast. They put on a lot of promos for both Velasquez and Kielholtz. So they weren't necessarily doing things that you were seeing. But if you were already tuned into Bellator, I think you would have had the uh, emotional investment built in. They do a good job with the product at Showtime. They do. They always did. Doring. But what's going to make me turn the channel and, and put on Showtime? That's what I want. Being a fight fan. That's pretty much it. So, They're just hoping that you're going to be hardcore uh, enough that's to watch them. I, that's that what I think is, it is. That's a terrible marketing strategy, I think. I'm not saying you're wrong. Like, like I, I, to be honest, I, I don't even know who these two were. I've never heard of their names before. So I, I don't know. It's not a problem with the fighters. I, I don't want the fighters to think I, I got an issue with them. I got an issue with the way Bellator markets them. I'm glad you said so, so because Denise Kielholtz is a huge fan of the Couchside Judges. I oh, Good for her. I maybe made that up, but on. maybe she is. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, all, it's all on Bellator. Just make me care. And I don't think they care to make me care. They just hope I do. Well, I'm glad Dan got that out of his system, but uh, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of the Couchside Judges. We'll be back later in the week with a past judgment. Past judgment for a fight that I am super excited about. We got Sanhagen versus Dillashaw. We'll break that down as well. That's going to be an awesome one. Thank you, everybody. Take care and have a great week. Thanks for listening.